The Somatic Scribing Lab brought together 30 facilitators, scribes, artists, body workers, counselors, and teachers who are putting the sensing back into sense making. We gathered for 12 weeks in the fall of 2021 to build on the fields of cultural somatics and generative scribing and reconnect to ancient practices for harvesting body wisdom, all in service of our collective liberation. We can't do this alone. So to share what we're learning with our friends and community, we present the Somatic Scribing Podcast. Each episode features a conversation between lab mates, reflecting on what the fertile lab container is teaching us. Sessions and episodes are organized by rhythms of the body, birth, breath, digestion, rest, eros, and death. My name is Kate Morales, and I'm serving in the role of womb space for this collective Selma. Settle in, and welcome. We affirm that the land remembers the blood in our veins, the bones of our body. In a cultural moment so sweeping, you've definitely gotten an email this week with wishes for restfulness in the sign-off. We ask, what are we resting for? Ty Davis is back for her second episode, and we're joined by Orion Camaro this week as we talk about napping on Zoom, adrenal fatigue as psychic warfare, how we're exercising grind culture out of our bodies, the impacts of misreading social cues when our nervous systems are on hypervigilance overdrive, and what resting has to do with imagination. We ground this convo in gratitude for the vision our Black feminist teachers are dreaming for us, in which we repair the harm caused by the long-standing theft of Black and feminized labor. Make sure you're not working too hard to get some rest. We strongly advise you listen to this episode while laying down. Okay, so Orion, you've offered to ground us in a little bit of a song, so I'll pass it to you. Sacred rest, restoration in progress. Sacred rest, restoration in progress. Sacred rest. Restoration in progress, sacred rest, restoration in progress. Mm. (laughs) That's beautiful. Wow, I wish we could all make, I wish we could sing that together on Zoom in a way that wouldn't make our voices all garbled. Yes, I know. Uh, lots of love. So, yeah, invokes rest in a good way for each of you. Thank you. Thanks for anchoring us in that. Um, I love that many of these podcasts have been starting with song. And 
and the way that it's a little nod to oral tradition and the way that knowledge has been passed down without necessarily mark making on paper, but how it makes marks in our bodies. Well, we could talk about so many things. Rest is such a hot topic, I feel like right now, in especially activist culture. Uh, just to do a little more grounding, I'm going to read a bit of text that came with this session in the lab that kind of lays out some of the connections between rest, dreaming, uh, being in our bodies, rest as a sort of inroad to the subconscious and other bodily ways of knowing, and ecological con connection to our ecological body. So I'll, I'll start us here and then we can open into some combo. So we'll start with a quote from Tia Gloria Anzaldúa from her book Luz en lo Oscuro. Quote, Decolonizing reality consists of unlearning consensual reality. To change or reinvent reality, you engage the facultad of your imagination. You must interrupt or suspend the conscious eye that reminds you of your history and your beliefs because these reminders tie you to certain notions of reality and behavior. You then insert the idea with accompanying images of the new reality. To invent a new reality, you cultivate a pretend reality and act as though you're already in it. Throughout the centuries, one culture touches and influences another, passing on its metaphors and its gods before it dies. Metaphors are gods. According to archetypal psychology, we have internalized the old deities, animals, and forces of nature that our ancestors considered gods. We could say that metaphors are allies, spirits, transformative aspects of the unconscious seeking to enter consciousness. The new culture adopts, modifies, and enriches these images and in turn passes them on changed." End quote. Resting is what we do on the way to sleeping, and sleeping is one way into dreaming. For some of us, a sleep dream time gives us access to the subliminal multiverse of realities beyond the waking one. It's a place that seeds imaginaries that shape the future and bend the past. But we could also call living in consensual reality a kind of dreaming while awake, where projections from our psyches also create worlds that are organized according to stories, beliefs, and other imaginal material. We have access to very different kinds and qualities of imaginal space depending on whether we are dreaming while asleep, dreaming while awake, or dreaming while resting. But the common denominator is that we influence our worlds by engaging in it from an imaginal space. The question is, how do you relate to your imagination? The first invitation of the week is to practice dreaming while resting. Dreaming while resting is a very ordinary practice. 
It is the sacred mundane art of noticing when your body is in a state of rest and sensing into what or who else is present with you. In a living ecosystem, all organisms are communicating at all times, and they spend the majority of their time in states of resting or easeful embodiments. Humans, who have developed a culture that values being in chronic states of stress, are much less able to communicate with the other beings around us when our hypervigilant nervous systems are focused on acute stressors. Disconnect as a cultural norm means that accessing communication with other beings can sometimes look and feel like magic, but it is actually the ordinary practice of tuning in to what is known all the time by a wide web of interconnected beings. And this too can be dreaming. The second invitation is to practice resting in ecological devotion. To rest in ecological devotion is to extract ourselves from the colonial imaginary that values our existence only via our capacity to be productive and return to an easeful state of being, not doing, that allows the unfolding of life to happen through us without effort. Observing other beings in resting states opens us up to notice how life organizes itself in nested patterns that are efficient, harmonic, flowing, beautiful. As we imagine the cultural soma, let us remember we are not bound to an anthropocentric body. In fact, our persistent social structures, or the cultural soma, grow out of these two strong influences, patterns in nature, and the imaginations of the people in power, or the colonial imaginary. There are aspects of culture at all levels that mirror the patterns of the land and even specific bioregional qualities. Biomimicry is a bit of a misnomer as we too are nature, but the natural patterns in which life organizes itself, like spirals, branches, waves, spheres, honeycombs, and fractals, have just as much to teach us about the shape of the cultural soma as do our imaginations. Recently, authors like Alexis Pauline Gums with Undrowned and Anna Tsing, who wrote Mushroom at the End of the World, are weaving connections between human ways of being and wider ecological expressions of life. Could you take 10 minutes, 20 minutes, or an hour this week to do the same? So that was the invitations for the week of resting. And then we got into session and we actually took a nap together on that day. Um, I'm going to pass it off to you all to kind of weave us into a little bit more about that session, how you arrived to it, and we can go from there. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to say that, um, start off saying that I've had a great deal of trouble trying to even remember that session. I remember the nap. <laughs> Part of my thing. Um, 
there's so much to think about here in terms of rest and the cultural soma. Um, what feels right, excuse me. What feels right um, in this moment is the necessity of rest and how for at least for me, how it seems to the concept of rest opposes the cultural soma that um, surrounds me. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but the, the notion of rest is not in terms of not it just being a physical so you spoke a minute ago about us being, you know, multi-bodied, like multi-bodied, you know, we have the physical body, the energetic body, the auric body, mm -hmm. all these different layers. And I think that when we look at rest, a lot of the times we define it as only this physical body being at rest. But then there's also things that experience around, at least me, that affect my energetic body, my auric body. And it's like um, even those things, those experiences impact the internal adrenals in my physical body. So it's almost, it still makes it difficult for me to be at rest. Rest for me now becomes rest in itself, just being in this, this, this brown skin, this female body in itself is absolutely an act of liberation and the concept of, of resting against the cultural norm of what's expected is seems a little bit overwhelming, but um, I'd like to be able to escape it aside from the dreams, escape that push and pull of the so the what's happening in the cultural experience with me and more than just my dreams. I'm not sure if I'm um, clear or making sense. But for me, dreaming almost seems like, um, yeah, what, what, what are my dreams when I reach out into the different parts of my self? It seems as though they're no longer dreams. They are just different aspects of me. Mm -hmm. yep. Yep. thank you for sharing that yeah what comes up for me um in what you just shared and just like you know what what brought me to that session um was I think the, the context of of it was when I came to that session um I was actually in the midst of like landing um in in Scotland for the UN climate mm -hmm. negotiations and about that. Um, I think that there was a lot of lessons about rest. Um, there's a lot of lessons that I learned through rest, uh, through, through witnessing um, that space. Um, and, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me when coming to the session was the fact that um, I feel like what's really important is like, how do we reclaim rest as not a recuperative experience to serve capitalism and like the atmospheres of oppression that are around us. That's kind of what I received from you, Ty, when you're talking about the cultural soma and that like resisting rest as being like serving 
like the oppressive aspects of like the world we're in and how do we like see rest as actually like a sacred process that can exist on its own for us to remember what has been conditioned to be lost in like the state of mania that occurs when we're in spaces like let's be real like I mean we are on lands that are like built out of racialized capitalism so just by virtue of our bodies being folks of color who have histories of like oppression and loss and diaspora like these are invisible weights that um oh no <laughs> I know because I was like really just like oh that was a word Orion right? jumped yeah. off the call yeah hopefully that will rejoin in a moment but he, um, he right on the nail for what I was trying to say yeah those weights of oppression and how to me and it's it's more, it's the, the center of justice is not focusing on the color, but it's focusing on the experience of those who are experiencing the injustice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when you look at that experience, all of those things that he just talked about are encapsulated in that. And that includes, it's just so much more inclusive, so much more thoughtful. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm sorry, my phone automatically was like, let me rest. We were second. hanging on every word, Ori, so please jump back in, finish your thought. <laughs> Thank you. No, but um, but yeah, just like to to the, you know, just to the experience of like, how do we really reclaim rest as like a sacred act of knowing an ancestral way of being that's been a practice over many generations, like that we are able to commune with you know what even that pre preface that you just shared with us like how do we see that even the consensual reality that we exist in like we create and we we dream realities into existence well you dream aspects of this reality into existence and how do we like recognize that there's um ecological wisdom in like reclaiming rest as a practice of returning to to it and reorienting ourselves to like see that we can access um yeah access wisdoms that I think have been trivialized by just like the values that have been placed so highly in this like modern world of like continuous accumulation and extraction and um capitalism that has this this invisible pressure um and so yeah I think um there's a lot there's a lot there. Um, one thing I'll say before I, uh, you know, open it, open it up to any other thoughts folks have is just like one of the things that I think I had to really grapple with while being at the UN is, um, was, you know, this was the first climate negotiation since the pandemic. So a lot of stakes felt higher. A lot of people had a lot of emotions and the space itself was inherently so oppressive there was like militarization in the streets and like a lot of like a lot of like like the space itself invited us to stay in the status quo of what has been happening over the last 20 or so years and I think when we went into that space and I kind of like at least in the space of because you know I kind of came to that space pretty burnt out and so like you know at first I saw that as a sort of impediment to my ability to be like productive in that space but like in that state, I witnessed that like 
what was happening was just reinforcing the status quo and how do we like really see ourselves or embody a way of being different where it's like you know the folks in power there like you know the sort of like actions that we've put throw down on or like those things won't shift those decision makers like how are we able to build a grassroots power through building relationships with like the folks that actually carry the ecological knowledge that like is crucial for the climate crisis like how do we like build relationship with um the indigenous kin that like like have like fought to be in those spaces and like you know really have the true solutions rather than these like capitalist or colonial um decisions that are paraded as like the most valuable or like i don't know there's there's a lot there Uh, i'll just stop there for a second curious to hear what lands for people uh i mean i feel like we could open up huge conversations from both of what you shared um ty i wanted to put in um because you started off by talking about um which we we haven't we've like kind of inserted racialization here and i I just feel like it's really important to ground this conversation in this moment where black feminists are really like leading the way in demanding that um that rest come first and foremost to black women and femmes and that a system that has always been built upon black labor and feminized labor um because we live in that in that system that's built in that way like that's that will be the marker of our liberation when black women and femmes can truly rest and so I just want to lift up um some of the some of the leaders um of our time who have been who have been saying that and also we gained um bell hooks as a beloved ancestor this week and just lifting up her voice around that as well. She's been saying that for many decades now. So really wanting to make sure that this combo is grounded um, from that perspective, at least here on Turtle Island. Yeah, thank you so much for um, including that. I, I remember first being introduced to Bell Hooks 30 years ago as an undergrad student, um, it was re- she was required reading as a part of my program, um, and 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 the statement about um, uh, this, you know, black feminism and the requirements on the black female body is absolutely true, and I find it even more even the movement the, the movement for liberation itself has also required the labor of black women in a way that is um it's an exhaust on the system it's an exhaust on the adrenals it's an exhaust on the psyche and i think that we don't we may not see these things as labor but um what I can tell you is as I know what, what made me starkly aware of it was that not actually the death of, well, two things, actually the death of Erica Garner. Yeah, Erica Garner's daughter uh, fighting for justice in her father's death, Yes, you know? And then um, not too long after that, this was last year, brother Haroon 
um, in Atlanta. You know, it, it, it brought about the, to me, full circle that people become activists because they're making a space for themselves in the community. And when we do that, uh, going back to the Black Panther movement, when Black women step up and make the space for ourselves, uh, we do do the labor, we do set the groundwork, even at the civil rights movement, <laughs> largely the women, the people, the supporters were largely women, you know, Dr. King, and then what the leadership in that movement turned to be men. Same thing with the Black Panther Party. Black Panther Party, predominantly women. They were teenagers, granted, but it was predominantly women. And women created those programs about feeding kids and such. But the leadership of that movement was men. And if we fast forward it to Black Lives Matter in, in, in modern day, that was started by women, three women, three Black yeah. women. Yeah. But by and large, men that became associated with that movement became the face of it and the voice mm -hmm. of it. So, and, and at the cost, I, 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 the cost, you know? So as a person who has stepped into that arena and stepped out as at a desire to save myself, recognizing my health, my heart, my mind, my soul, all of those things failing. Uh, yeah, where is the liberation and where is their justice? when everything still requires this so much labor, unsupported labor. Mm. Yeah, that phone is ringing. I'm so sorry, but thank you. <laughs> right, which um, really to, to tease it out even more, as we're talking about resting, it's really actually not possible to talk about resting without pulling apart racialization of who gets to rest, who has historically been able to rest who needs rest now and who's been like over resting and needs to wake up <laughs> um and and it's um helpful to to have heard both of you talk both from the context of of ty as you said beautifully not only empire getting built on black women's labor but our liberation movements getting continuing to reproduce that cycle and orion the pieces that you brought around even the people coming to the climate negotiations in 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 teams and cohorts of of people looking for um like grassroots climate solutions um also getting this rest piece ah oh, like we haven't gotten it yet like we didn't we're not we didn't get it quite right yet the 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 balance of of what it means to rest and um not to mention the piece about dreaming and and dreaming kind of being shorthand for the stories that we live inside and our sort of consensual reality that gets made up of some people's ideas of of what shape society makes and 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 living inside of a sort of colonial imaginary that's um has such profound impacts on on our bodies um I, I wonder if either of you want to go a little bit deeper into any one of those threads we've kind of pulled up labor we've pulled up um imaginaries and we, we've pulled up this ecological piece about um tuning back into uh, wider ecological bodies of of 
being in interrelation with beings who do know how to rest. Um, what's coming up for you all to keep deepening? One thing that feels really present to me is just recognizing like the sort of, yeah, like the, the thread that you named about just sort of the colonial imaginary and that like a lot of the sort of behaviors or systems that have been put into place that are really like oppressing our society comes from resourced, a resource privileged few that have had the ability to rest and, and in that rest have been able to um, use their power to construct what's around us. Whereas I really feel so strongly that like a lot of the decolonial imaginary of folks that have been most oppressed who have not had the opportunity to rest, um, you know, sort of have this sort of like compression of our dream space in a way that like disables the potential of incredibly powerful solutions to emerge from black and brown bodies to be able to shape a world that that like nurtures those margins um, and like builds a liberatory world that we think like that we know is possible. And so I, I kind of like just wanted to put that out there because that's something that feels super present for at least, you know, my experience and seeing a lot of different folks that have been at this movement for a long time have like found themselves burnt out because they give their all in, in fighting this colonial imaginary instead of allowing that energy to like sit and rest to nurture the decolonial imaginary that's inside of each of us and how do we like change that paradigm so that like folks that are putting themselves out there and like working hard in these movements have the opportunity to be resourced to access the brilliance that is, is inside them to like build that world um and I, you know I'm I, that's a thread that feels interesting to me especially just like in the wake of really intense oppressive systems around us where we are mourning so many things all at the same time and like how do we how do we also give ourselves the rest that is regenerative instead of the rest that is coping you know like how do we give ourselves that mm -hmm. rest that generates like our liberation right not one that just keeps feeding the colonial machinery or like you said i i was talking to an elder the other day who was talking about um <laughs> uh how she doesn't quite understand how folks young folks are kind of dropping out of the work and it was a beautiful conversation where we both got to name the bur the burnout culture that young people have inherited in our movements and uh she had a she had a good point of like you you don't just get to dip into myopic um like t tune out and not not be a part of the collective body um and also um the work can't the, the if resting is work to be able to get back to work that's missing the mark too I feel like there is, um, I feel like there is an urgency to redefine 
what we look at as community and safety and us. So um, the example I use is like inside the black community, right? And it's, it's I, I think every community does this, but I would know this example most intimately. Um, we tend to define safety, comfort and support by um, gathering around who looks like us and who holds practices that are similar. And I think that in that process um, of needing to do that, we get stuck in um, this cycle of there, there, is a, there is just the fact that if we are looking for liberation, but we have a need to seek that liberation primarily with people that look like us, that in itself is a, a limitation that I think we are not aware of that is kind of contrary to the concept of rest. So like for an example, in the previous statement I made, right? When I talked about how we become activists to make space for ourselves in that community, what happens when we realize that there are members of our own community that are also participating in it, right? Because we are actually just furthering the construct. It's like we keep attempting to fight the construct by getting into the construct, becoming a part of it, and somewhere in that line, some people either experience this extreme burnout by what they see, what they experience, what they observe. Other people respond to this burnout or respond to the stress of that experience by becoming so much a part of the system that they don't recognize how they are now uh, furthering and perpetuating the same thing inside their own community. So for me, I, um, it, you know, through this really interesting journey I've had, uh, the past year or two, it looks like, you know, maybe rest comes with powering down a little bit. How do I, and that's where I came up with the idea of my other podcast about redefining us. How do we now expand, right? If, if I know that we've got our wagons circled around this one camp and this camp isn't quite complete and it's still sparking up inside of me, all of these things that force me to become work for my rest, then maybe I should expand the camp. Maybe I should reach out further and kind of let go of some of what I once saw as safety um, and, 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 and perception. Because I think in the, in the long run, when we look at the history of oppressed peoples, all people are oppressed, have been oppressed, right? And I think it was in this class, in this lab, I've learned or come to understand and be able to frame that oppression is learned behavior so that the oppressors themselves were once oppressed. So it seems like there has to be some kind of process of allowing, some kind of process of allowing change in order for us to really reach rest um, that is connected to the mind, the thought process, and how we ramp up and how we engage others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes me think about Trisha Hersey's work with the NAB ministry of just her constant reminders of like, if you're working, even if you're working hard, like, are you working hard to rest? <laughs> 
and can you rest that part of yourself too so when we talk about the colonial imaginary we're not talking about this sort of enemy other right like we've internalized it and we it shows up even even in our in our closest circles even when we're alone with ourselves i mean i would argue for me in my experience Yes. I can be the biggest barrier to resting <laughs> um, more than more than anything else. So. So, yeah, just wanting to, like, really thread through when we're talking about resting. Um, Ty, you've talked about uh, adrenal fatigue a couple of times on this call. And, and and what's really at stake here is our bodies going back to a sort of parasympathetic state where we're able to access a sort of full range of sensation we're able to um, stay sensitive stay alert um, be in states that are um, accurately able to assess when assess social cues so that we're not constantly in in a hyper vigilant state that sort of um, primes us for negative associations with the, with someone who's perceived other. So this is kind of what we really are talking about when we're talking about rest is, is how can we regain full capacity, full sensation and, and your, the piece about safety tie that you were bringing up is, is it is the core of it is that it, it's, it's not safe to rest for many of us, for many people's bodies. And so when we're alone with our with ourselves and we do have access to like I'm I'm in my room or I'm I'm at a park and it just feels really nice to feel the skin on the the sun on my skin how can we be in rest practices in those moments to to let our bodies know that we do have windows of safety that we can soften into and and regain full access to um to to our dreaming to our imagining that that comes from the whole of us and not just from a sort of stressed out brain. <laughs> the stressed out brain, um, being in a constant state of hypervigilance, I would say everything you said just really nailed it for me. Uh, and not for me also in particular, not being able to name those things, right? Because sometimes we're kind of programmed not to see what's right around us because it's under the veil of I see this is person is brown this is community this is safety um example um but in reality it it does prime us to be less sensitive to our intuition about um our experiences and what we want with you know our own our own desires, right? As a for for happiness and, and and peace. What does it take? And I think that we tend to define happiness and peace as a community. We tend to define success as a community, as opposed to I'm a person inside this community, and how do I reach this place? And so there becomes a a, a barrier there to even understanding that we are in a hypervigilant state and we're not making good uh, decisions. And I, I can certainly attest to that. I've lived a good part of my life in that state. So thank you for highlighting that because this is exactly part of the journey. Mm. Yeah, there's constant learning in that. 
Um, and a question that just comes up for me, just like, you know, hearing what has been shared so far is like, how, how do we shape a culture where hypervigilance can be, can be like laid to rest so that like you could have that full rest to be restored? And how do we show up for each other to make that world possible? Um, yeah, and maybe that's such a big question. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I mean, these are, we are like navigating uh, everything that's around us, but like, I just, I definitely feel like even coming to this, the, the session, even having the experience of like, you know, everything being go, 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 go. And then like this session being like, like held in a moment in time to just like specifically focus on rest, I thought was like really a radical space when we're like constantly on these calls and we're like constantly on the go. Like the fact that, you know, uh, the session of this lab was like, yeah, we're actually going to be napping together and we're going to be like examining our subconscious together and tuning in to like a space that we haven't really held uh, attention to, I thought was so beautiful. Like, how do we shape that more in our lives? How do we build the practices that allow for that nourishment to happen um, so that we don't get like lost in, uh, in the rhythms that aren't that, that like are disruptive to that rest? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so confession time. That was not my first time napping on Zoom, um, but it was my first time intentionally napping on Zoom. <laughs> so um, I love that question, Orion, and I wonder if we could just close if either of you have any practices, little or small, that have been supporting your rest in any your rest, your dreaming, your connecting to a, a, a place where you can access your intuition and sensation, um, anything that's been alive for you that you could offer our listeners. And I could, I could start to give you a minute. Um, I was, I have a practice buddy on Friday mornings where um, our, our favorite practice thus far has been five minutes of yawning. And we set a timer and we don't mute and we just yawn for five minutes. And yawning is such a good way to like soften the body. Like you can't yawn when you're stressed. And it feels like there's, Every time it feels like there's a backlog of yawns, like yawning is also kind of a response to boredom. So it's nice to get to like yawn out um, some of what we go through in life every day that I'm just like, oh, man, I sit down and do, you know, my invoices or whatever and it and it's boring and so yawning yawning that out it's it feels like uh refreshing and it just helps ground i always feel more grounded so highly recommended five minutes of yawning that's what i got <laughs> for me it's um i know this probably sounds really basic but for me it's just meditation 
it was the hardest thing to begin because it was hard to uh, uh, stop, you know, to start meditating when my mind is just everywhere. But meditating to music by neural beats and eventually now I just meditate in silence and I sit with nature, you know, and aside from that, um, my salt lamp, I have this Himalayan salt lamp that I swear by it, if just a few minutes of day, I keep it plugged in and lit, but just a few minutes of day of just really being present and I put my hands on it and I just give it gratitude. I mean, because it's still a piece of the earth, right? Mm -hmm. That is commercialized in a way because it is an actual piece of salt carved out. But it is, um, uh, to me, represents the symbiotic nature, right? And it just provides this beauty, this light. And I just put my hand on it and I just rest and meditate just for a few minutes. It just makes me feel so much more grounded, so much more connected. Right, and I give gratitude for what the earth gives us and how I'm able to now take this little piece of what I've gotten from the earth and just kind of use it to rest, reset, and to just reconnect and, and to whatever it is that I'm supposed to do out into the world around me. So I think it's just really taking that moment with something natural, something of nature, and just really connecting and grounding in that in that moment and, and being able to rest inside of that for me. <sighs> I love that. Thank you for sharing that practice. Um, I think, you know, as far as practices go, you know, there's, there are so many to discover. And I think I'm still in the process of trying to like understand what practices uh, reclaim my rest. Um, but I know that one thing is, you know, for me, I think sometimes I can get really um, introspective and like there's a sort of buildup of like just chaotic ob observations and like worries and deep feelings like in my mind and that I like, need to find a way to like flush that out of my brain in a healthy way. And like one of the things that's really beautiful is, um, you know, um, being able to uh, sit with like my um, my to be able to sit with my uh, my thoughts in a in a in a pro in a healthy processing way so oftentimes I like put on like instrumentals and like without like without perfection or anything just like try to just like recite out words and like create sort of like lyrics or just like kind of spoken word improv that like doesn't have to be perfect and it's like actually about the process of just like trying to like just to discern what's going on in my mind in a playful way that like actually gives me a lot of life like I think music gives me a lot of joy and so for me it looks like that um and I think for anyone out there it's just like finding out the things that like nourish you that you can actually like like in your in your sensory body like you observe that like you turn alive like when you sing or like you turn alive when you draw or you turn alive when you're like um like have a practice and just like find ways to like process anything that's really ailing you like through those those mediums um but you know it's a long journey to figure out rest um but that's one that comes to mind <laughs> mm, thank you both 
Yeah, it's, it's, we were talking about it like practices, but they're also orientations too, right? Just how we move through the day. Well, uh, I have a lot of gratitude to each of you for this conversation and just close with a, with a prayer, with a blessing that the rest that has been unevenly distributed across the cultural soma my prayers for distribution good distribution in a way that allows for the people who need it most to 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 get the rest and for the the people whose whose imaginations um can and will birth new worlds that those that those people particularly um are able to to rest and slip into dream dream states and um that that we all may have access to the fullness of our bodies thanks maybe so thank you maybe so Mm -hmm. so grateful thank you thank you so much love to you all thanks for listening You can learn more about upcoming workshops and all things somatic scribing on my website as thecrowfliesdesign.com or by following me on Instagram at crowcamino, that's C-R-O-W-C-A-M-I-N-O. Music for this podcast is from the album Black Shaman by our lab mate, multidisciplinary artist and healing practitioner, Neith Sankofa. You can check the show notes for all that info and be in touch. We'd love to hear from you.